For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me and just ask the Lord to teach us today? Lord Jesus, we need you. You know that we need you. You are not a distant God to us, but you are a God who is near to us. As you told your disciples before you ascended, you said, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. And Jesus, in sending your spirit to us, you have come to us in an even more close and intimate way than ever before. And so, Jesus, we thank you that we are not alone this morning, that as we gather, your very presence dwells with us and among us. And Lord, where your presence is, is where you rule and where you reign. And Jesus, you are delighted to rule and reign through your people and through your church this morning. Would you bestow that upon our hearts today? God, we ask that you would teach us today, especially as we just continue in a subject matter that is filled with tremendous confusion, fear, worry, excitement, so many things. God, we ask that you would be our teacher today. Would you shape us and would you send us out this morning rejoicing at the Savior that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, we have been uh, working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, like I mentioned, and uh, just two weeks ago, we started in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you know the book, you know that it, it launches for the next three chapters on a, a very massive discussion about spiritual gifts. Uh, and so we've been talking about spiritual gifts the last couple of weeks, and we'll be in it for the next couple of months. Uh, and as we've been going through this together, it's, I just want to be able to kind of give us a quick little recap kind of as we start each week to kind of just ground us uh, and remind us of where we're at. But Jesus Christ has accomplished salvation for all who believe. Amen? Amen. Amen. He came to earth. He lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we should uh, have died. He paid the price for our sins on the cross, and he rose again. And the Bible tells us that after he rose again and ascended, the book of Ephesians would say, as he ascends, he bestows gifts upon men. And we know that that means uh, from the rest of the New Testament that he poured out his Holy Spirit on all who would believe in him. That sinners who had no hope of salvation, no hope of forgiveness, no hope of peace with God, simply through faith in Jesus could not only be forgiven of their sins, but be given the very presence of God to dwell with them. And as the Spirit of God dwells with his people, he brings gifts with him. As if he was not enough. He brings gifts with him. Right, like that, that family member that you see once a year on Christmas that you love to see, but you really love to see them because they brought their gifts. God's not actually like that. He is the gift, but in, a, in his abundant grace, he brings more gifts with him and bestows his gifts upon the church, upon his people for the purpose of building up the body because God loves his church and his people so much, so much he wants to regularly be building us up. The Bible teaches us that these gifts are good. Not one time does the Bible tell us these gifts are bad 
or that they should make you nervous, or that they're dangerous, or that they're scary. But the abundant message is that they are good and that they are from God, and that we are to earnestly desire these spiritual gifts. In fact, never once, never once does the Bible tell us that these gifts have stopped or disappeared. We've been teaching as we've been going through this together, We've been teaching the continuation of these gifts, talking about being a church that obeys the commands of the Bible to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And today we get into some of the specific gifts that Paul mentions. Before we do that, though, we have to talk about avocados this morning. Obviously, I know, right? Avocados are, especially when you live in Southern California, avocados are like the absolutely renowned. It is rare to meet a person that says, I don't like avocados because those people know they're not allowed to say that out loud, right? Because avocados are everything. They're amazing, right? When you go to Chipotle and you want extra guac, you are paying $2.70 for a tablespoon of guacamole because Chipotle knows and you know it's worth it, right? It's so good. We love, I mean, how about the, the, the craze of avocado toast? Right, my, uh, the coffee shop that I go to all the time, it is $13 for a piece of bread with avocado smashed on top of it. But guess what? We'll buy it because it's delicious. It's amazing. Or how about just chips and guac? Right? Avocado is so, so good. It tastes amazing and everybody knows it. But I've been avoiding avocados lately. I know. My last two times eating an avocado at my house, we bought it from the grocery store, and the last two times I ate an avocado at my house, it was rancid. You ever had a rancid avocado? It is awful. It has this like chemical smell to it. It feels like the moment it hits your palate, it's just like poisoned you. It's a really miserable experience. And so the last two times in a row, I have gone to make my own avocado toast. It is awful. It is disgusting. I literally want, I spit it out of my mouth and ri- it's so gross. It's rancid. It's really bad. So I'm scared to eat avocados now, just to be really honest with you. I'm really scared to eat avocados. I'm completely avoiding it. It's not appetizing to me at all. I love them, but it only took me two bad experiences to completely shut me off, at least for the moment. I need some redemption in my life. But some of us Some of us are treating spiritual gifts just like this, particularly the kind of spiritual gift that involves what we'll call revelation, okay? The the, the gifts that we're going to talk about this morning are gifts in particular that are um, what we would call revelatory gifts. Now, the Bible doesn't give us that category, but what I mean by that is they are gifts that involve the revelation from the Holy Spirit showing us something, showing us information, showing us a way to go that we could not have known on our own. So they are revelatory in nature. Some of us are treating God's revelatory gifts much like I'm currently treating avocados. Absolutely turned off by it. Afraid, lost all appetite for it, want nothing to do with it. Maybe you've had a bad experience. We've talked about this a lot over the last couple of weeks, but particularly with some of these gifts where where maybe somebody came into your life and they said, God told me, and then they proceeded to say something that was quite harmful or hurtful or heretical, something that contradicted the gospel. Or maybe someone came, came to you at one point in your life and said, God told me to break up with you. And so now you feel like not only are you breaking up with me, but God's breaking up with me too. 
There are so many ways in which we have probably all experienced or at least seen people claim, well, God told me, and then everything else was just off base that followed from there, and it's maybe turned you off. But we're told in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4, the same author of this book, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not quench or do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, which is really profound because it seems to be saying that our words, our actions, our unrepentance can cause grief to the triune God. Can cause grief to the Spirit of God. Paul would use this picture of the Holy Spirit like a flame that we must be careful to not try and diminish or distinguish. Not as if we can, He is the Almighty God, but we need to be careful so as to not try to extinguish the flame of the Spirit of God. That's what the language Paul would use. And some of us are quenching the Spirit in regards to revelatory gifts. But here's, here's, here's what I think we need to receive partly this morning. We don't have the right to despise these gifts, period. We don't have the right to despise these gifts, even if you've had a bad experience with them. Because we're commanded in the scriptures to earnestly desire these gifts. We don't have the right to despise them just because we've seen them abused. Now, we'll get into the specific gifts here in this little section of 1 Corinthians 12 where Paul starts to list um, different giftings, right? He says in verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, saying this is the purpose of spiritual gifts, that the Spirit of God would come to us, that He would be made manifest to us through these gifts for the purpose of building up the body. And then he starts to list examples of them. It's not meant to be an exhaustive list to say these are only the spiritual gifts that you'll find because every list throughout the New Testament is different. But here he starts listing gifts, and we're going to look at four of them today that seem to be revelatory in nature. I say seem to be because Paul doesn't give us a definition of three of them. He just drops it here, and it's never mentioned again in the Bible. So we are left to kind of figure it out a little bit, okay? We're not going to try to be dogmatic on this, but we're going to try to say, hey, hey, what do the scriptures seem to be showing us uh, about these gifts? And here's the four this morning. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, Prophecy and the discernment of spirits. Okay, we're going to try to tackle a lot this morning. Um, oh, this is, uh, you don't need to pay attention to this, but this is just all the gifts specifically mentioned in the, in the, in the New Testament if you want to see that. That's up there. Um, okay, so word of wisdom, word of knowledge, prophecy, and discernment of spirits. Now, we're not going to talk a lot about prophecy today. I just have to tell you that because it's going to get a full treatment in just a couple weeks as we get into to chapter 14. Paul focuses a lot on prophecy, and he's going to explain it a lot for us uh, and how it needs to be uh, practiced. Um, so we're going to do that uh, in, in a few weeks. But we talked uh, a couple weeks ago, just a, kind of a simple def- definition idea of prophecy is, is a divinely, some divinely revealed information that is communicated through human means. Okay, That's kind of the broad idea of prophecy. Again, we're going to get to more of that a little bit later. So we're going to focus mostly this morning What is word of wisdom? What is word of knowledge? And what is discernment of spirits? This all sounds strange. What are these things? And again, the challenge is we don't have a definition. It'd be really nice if Paul says, you know, that gift word of wisdom, which is blank. But he doesn't do that for us, unfortunately. And he doesn't even actually tell us the difference between word of wisdom and word of knowledge and prophecy. There are some that will look at this and say, actually, those might just be examples of the gift of prophecy. But we're going to do our best this morning to kind of look at some of these together. But we must not grieve these gifts, primarily because God thinks we need them. 
These gifts are not man's idea. These gifts are not the invention or the creation of some kind of denomination. These gifts were God's idea. We must not grieve these things because he thinks that we need them. So but what, the moment we start talking about revelatory things, we're talking about, we're in the category of God speaking, okay? Which I know for some of us makes us really uncomfortable, right? But God is a speaking God. That is who he is. He is a God who speaks. In fact, the fact that he speaks is partly, partly what makes him different from all the other gods, right? Paul would even say many times in this letter about when you're a pagan, you're following mute idols, they don't speak, but God is a speaking God. So we have to ask, well, how does he speak? How does God speak? It's a great question. I'm so glad that you asked it this morning. How does God speak? Well, here's what we have to say right out front. The most primary and foundational way in which God speaks is through his word. The word of God. It's called the word for a reason. It is the primary way by which God speaks to his people because the word of God is the highest authority for his people the highest authority. It is authoritative for all people in all places at all times, okay? It will never be undermined. It will never be changed. It will never be thwarted. The word of God endures forever. We are told that again and again and again. The word of God endures forever. His word is foundational to us, and it is in his word where he gives us everything we need for salvation and for a life of godliness, period. All we need, he's given us. And it's in his word that he speaks to us through his son. He shows us the gospel of Jesus. Hebrews chapter one says this so beautifully. Look at Hebrews chapter one. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Here's what Hebrews is saying. In everything God has been saying and God has been speaking, it has been building up to his son. His son is the embodiment of the word of God. That's why Jesus is called the word. He is God's final and complete and full revelation to us. Everything that we need is found in Christ. Every promise God has made to us is we get the yes in Jesus. He is all that we need. It is in his word that he shows us Jesus Christ, he will never reveal or speak in any way that undermines Christ. He will never reveal some kind of new knowledge or new truth that gets us to move away from Christ. He will never speak in a way that contradicts the way in which he's already spoken in his word. Amen? Amen. But that is not the only way in which God speaks. As we read his word, we actually see God speaking in a myriad of ways. In lots of different ways. Let me just list several for you from the scriptures. God would oftentimes speak through appearances. There are many times that God himself would appear to his people in physical form. Sometimes would, Jesus would appear as, as the angel of the Lord. Or sometimes God would appear in, in a vision or in a dream to his people and he would speak to them. God would at times in the scriptures appear and speak to people through angels. Angels are messengers sent by God. They, they obey him and they do what he says. And so there are times all throughout the scriptures when God sends an angel to speak to his people and communicate things to them, to protect them or to minister to them. Sometimes God would speak through an audible voice. 
There are several people throughout the scriptures that have heard the audible voice of God. And they're not just in the Old Testament. We have Abraham, we have Moses, Samuel, Elijah. And then in the New Testament, we John the Baptist hears the audible voice of God at the baptism of Jesus. We have Peter, James, and John who hear the audible voice of God at the transfiguration of Jesus when God says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. We have Paul who would later hear the audible voice of God. Peter, in a vision, would hear the voice of God. John, as he writes the book of Revelation, would hear the voice of God. God speaks in an audible voice. God sometimes speaks in an internal voice, kind of that voice that that you feel like you're hearing, but no one else hears because it's internal in some way. Or through impressions. There's this sense or this feeling in which God may be speaking to me. Right, all throughout the book of Acts, we see, we see people like Paul who are seeing the faith of someone. How do you see someone's faith? That's like, a, that's like an under-the-surface heart level kind of thing. We can see the products of faith, but how does he see faith? Or how does Nehemiah say, God put it into my heart? Well, there's, there's some kind of impression or internal voice in which God uses to speak to us. Sometimes God speaks through dreams and visions, Right? Daniel had a lot of dreams and visions. Peter had dreams and visions. Paul, John. In Acts chapter 2, at when the Spirit of God comes at Pentecost, there's a prophetic promise that says, your young men will dream dreams and your old men will dream dreams. God sometimes speaks through visions and dreams. God speaks through nature. We're told in Romans chapter 1 that it's through nature that we see some of the attributes of God. We're told in the, in the Psalms that the heavens declare the glory of God. Nature is one of the ways in which God speaks to us. Do we need more? There's so many ways in which God speaks. He speaks to us sometimes through our bodies. Right? We see the story of Jesus when he's, when he's walking along the way and some woman touches him and it says that he felt power go out of him. Right? There, there's some way in which Jesus' body, that he could, he could know from the Lord and from the Spirit that something happened to his body that turned to have him address this woman. I know many friends that, that at times maybe feel strange sensations come up that give them extra compassion for somebody that is experiencing that same thing and they didn't know it. And God was speaking to them to say, hey, there's someone here that is experiencing this pain and you need to go care for them. There are so many ways in which God speaks. So many ways. If you have a hard time believing that God still speaks today, let me graciously ask you, where did you get that idea? I think for some of us, some of us that have maybe been Christians and have been, been around church a long time, in our love for the scriptures, which we should have, in our trust and submission to the scriptures, which we should have, some of us have started to say, that's the only way God speaks. And if that's where you're at, I want to just graciously ask you, where did you get that idea? Now, God is a speaking God. Our God is a relational God. Again, he'll never speak in contradiction to his word. But our God's a speaking God because he loves his people. And he cares for you and he wants relationship with us. So, what is word of knowledge and word of wisdom? What are these gifts? I'm going to kind of treat these two gifts kind of in one category. Okay? Here, but here's, here's my best definition that I, that I can kind of give us to kind of distinguish between the two. Word of wisdom and word of knowledge. That there are ways in which the Holy Spirit of God has uniquely gifted some of his people supernaturally. Okay? 
Word of knowledge would be the revealing of information or facts that you wouldn't otherwise know about a person or a situation. Right? That there are some through the Spirit of God that God has graciously gifted them for the building up of the body, that there are times when God will reveal to someone information or facts that that person would not otherwise have any idea about for the sake of building someone up. That's word of knowledge. Word of wisdom, I think, seems to be this, the revealing of practical decisions that need to be made in light of the circumstances. Particularly supernatural, spiritual wisdom and direction to make the right decision in a given moment. Again, we don't have a definition, but let me just kind of give you some examples from Scripture to see, like, I think these might be, be examples of, of some of these things, okay? First few from Jesus. Now, Jesus doesn't have spiritual gifts like we do. We have to understand that. Jesus does not have spiritual gifts in the same way that we do as his people post-resurrection, post-ascension, post-ascending of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit. And there are many times when he exercised what I think we might call word of wisdom or word of knowledge. Because Jesus, as he comes to earth, I think what we see in him is he seems to temporarily suspend some of his divine attributes. Doesn't mean he ceases to be God. Doesn't mean he ceases to be uh, fully divine. He is. He is fully God and fully man. And yet I think we see in Jesus, in his practical ministry, that as he's here on earth, he sets aside, he suspends use of some of his divine attributes. Okay? Particularly his omniscience is one of them, right? We see clearly said in in Mark 13 that Jesus himself, as he's on earth, doesn't know the time or the place of his return. Concerning the day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. This is temporary for Jesus. I believe Jesus knows when he's coming back now. He's ascended. He's returned to glory. He sits at the right hand of God. He is in charge of all things. He is sovereign. But while he was on earth, he suspended the use of some of his divine attributes, okay? That doesn't make him less divine. It doesn't make the things that he did less miraculous or more miraculous. But there are some things that we saw Jesus do, and I think much of it had to do with his perfect, obedient reliance upon the Holy Spirit. All right, we see Jesus on earth submitting to the will of the Father, Okay, let me give you a couple examples. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus, after forgiving the sin of a paralytic man, says to the scribes who are grumbling and complaining about him, it says, Jesus, knowing the thoughts of the scribes, and then he rebukes them. How does he know their thoughts? You say, well, he's Jesus, right? I'm just trying to give you examples of things that might be word of knowledge or word of wisdom. Again, in Matthew chapter 12, after healing a demonized man, Jesus, knowing the thoughts of the Pharisees, rebukes them. Or in John chapter 4, a wonderful example. John chapter 4, we have this one up on the screens. When Jesus is interacting with the Samaritan woman at the well, who's coming in the middle of the day, the hottest point of the day, because she is in shame and she doesn't want to be uh, ridiculed for her sin, that's actually why she's coming in the middle of the day, the hottest point. Jesus says to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman said, I have no husband. Jesus said, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. She goes on to say, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. This may be an an example of a word of knowledge. 
Or if we continue in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 5. There's a story in Acts chapter 5 where um, there's a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they're coming and bringing a gift to the Lord and they decide to withhold some of that gift and lie about how much they're giving. A man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, he kept, kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, how does he know this? Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? He goes on to say, you didn't have to lie. You could have brought as much as you have wanted, but just been honest about it. And then he dies. How does Peter know that in that moment? Well, I think the Spirit of God in that moment reveals it to Peter to say, this man's lying to the Holy Spirit and to God's people. And he shows Peter supernaturally in that moment or in Acts chapter 14. Paul is walking along and he sees a man. At Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand up right on your feet and he sprang up and began walking. How does Paul see his faith? The man's just sitting there listening to him. And it says that Paul looked intently at him and saw that he had faith to be made well. Does he literally see something? Does he perceive or understand something to be true about this man? How does this revelation come to Paul? A strong impression in his spirit? Does he hear an, inter like an internal voice of the Spirit of God? Did God give him a vision of this man like standing and walking and rejoicing? We don't know. But in some way, God reveals to Paul that this man has the faith to be made well. And he tells Paul, and because of that word of knowledge, Paul goes to this man and heals him in the power of Jesus. Let me give you a couple of experiences we've had here uh, at our church. A few weeks ago, um, maybe like a month and a half ago, uh, towards the end of our gathering, we, we had been talking about uh, the, the part in 1 Corinthians uh, about dining with demons, right? If you're like, wow, I missed that one. It sounds exciting. It was very exciting. Uh, dining with demons, about how we engage in idol worship and uh, demonic worship without even knowing it sometimes. And at the, after our sermon was over, after we are worshiping, uh, as, as I was worshiping, I just felt like the Lord kind of put this picture in my mind of a like Vegas lights, like a marquee of a casino in Las Vegas. And I was like, Lord, I don't know if this is from you or if I'm just like, thinking about Vegas for some reason, like, I don't know what's going on. Uh, and as I just sat there with the Lord, I felt like he was impressing upon me. There is someone here engaging in some activity that involves Vegas or casinos in some regard, and you want them to stop. I'm like, Lord, I don't know who that is or what that's for. But towards the end of our gathering, came up and shared that. Nothing happened. No one responded. But a couple days later, a woman in our church texted me and shared with me. That word was for me. I've had an app on my phone where I've been gambling for a while now, and I felt like the Lord has been telling me to get rid of it and get to stop, and I haven't. I've just been stubborn with him, and he revealed it to you. And I've deleted the app, and I've stopped, and I've repented of this. And the overwhelming sense for this woman was, wow, the Lord sees me. He knows me. He cares for me. She was built up. How did I know that? I don't know. Now, you might sit here and be thinking, well, I mean, the odds that somebody is struggling with some kind of gambling in our culture is pretty high. You might be right. 
I'll be honest with you, we're fairly young in exercising some of these gifts. I probably could have dialogued with the Lord and asked him for more specifics. Maybe he would have gave them to me, maybe not. But I know the outcome of that was the building up of our body. Another example, about three years ago, before, uh, before we even started this church, we were in my living room. It was about our third time meeting together for a prayer meeting in our living room. We, we had just been praying together, seeking the Lord, asking him, Lord, would you reveal to us where in Long Beach you want us to establish and plant this church? God, we, we don't have any connections. We don't have uh, any idea. Uh, would you just show it to us? This is about January, February 2020. And as we're praying, um, we're, we're just praying about these things. And as the meeting comes to a close, um, Heidi Benson, many of you don't know Heidi, Heidi comes up, up to me uh, after this meeting and she just goes, um, she goes, I, I don't know if this is weird to you, if this stuff kind of freaks you out, but, but as we were just praying just now, as I'm praying, I, I felt like the Lord just gave me this picture of a school, a public school, and the street sign, 4th Street. And I was like, okay, all right, cool, awesome, thanks for sharing that, like, I will, I will pray about that, like, I believe the Lord speaks, like, and so we'll all just take it to him and ask him and, and consider it and see what God does with it. So as soon as that meeting is over, I hop on Google Maps. I'm like, school's on 4th Street. You know, I'm like, look at him. This was the only one. You're in, the, you're in the school on 4th Street right now. In that moment, I, I believe the Lord was giving our, our young little seedling of a church a word of wisdom to say, pursue this. Go after this. Explore this. So we prayed about this school. We prayed about this school for about a year and a half. We would do prayer walks around this school. We wanted to come in and serve the school. And what we have experienced is nothing but favor from this lovely school that has welcomed us to meet here and to gather here. And we eagerly want to bless them. That wasn't just us being smart and making a, a really nice pick. It was the Spirit of God tenderly revealing to us a word of knowledge to say, or a word of wisdom to say, go in this direction. Go in this direction. That's been such a blessing to us. Let me give you another example. This is from a, a theologian named Jack Deere. He tells a story in a book that he wrote. He was uh, praying for a, a woman at the end of one of their, their gatherings. He said the woman was in her early 20s with long blonde hair and sad eyes. She was really nervous as she approached. None of us knew her. It was her first time to visit our church. Standing at the front of a crowd of others who had come forward for prayer, I prayed for God to heal her of a chronic physical ailment. Nothing happened. I prayed again. Still Nothing. Nothing appeared to be that all she was going to get until a young man named Carl whispered in my ear. Carl was a new Christian whom I was training to pray for the sick. He stood beside me observing my fruitless prayers. Then he whispered to me, ask her if she feels like God won't heal her because of the abortion she had when she was 18. I thought to myself, there's no way I'm going to ask a total stranger <laughs> such a personal and painful question. Then I thought about Carl. He had been demonstrating for about six months a real remarkable gifting of hearing the Lord. Then I thought about the sad young woman. What did she have to lose if Carl was wrong? What did she have to gain if Carl was right? There was only one way to find out. So he said, forgive me if this is off the wall or too invasive, but are you feeling like God won't heal you because of the abortion you had when you were 18? Her shock told me the answer before she could speak. The shock gave way to sobs. Her unhealed pain came from something she had done wrong, something she thought could never be made right. And now her heart floated on a reservoir of condemnation. She drank from that reservoir every day of her life. She kept her secret from her friends, but the secret was always there. Behind every laugh, 
spoiling every joy, whispering that she could never be forgiven, never be happy. Nobody had ever told her that God longed to forgive her and set her free. Nobody had ever told her that God thought about her every single day, longing to woo her with his love. Love, nobody ever told her. The secret stood in the way. It kept the dam of the reservoir intact. But God had decided it was time to break the dam. So he gave her secret to a newborn Christian. How did you know? She sobbed. God told us. When she opened her eyes, she searched our expressions. She knew we were God's representatives, and now we knew her secret. She expected to see condemnation. Instead, she saw two men enraptured with God's all-knowing love. And now it was her turn to be enraptured by the same splendor. When she heard that God longed for her, that he was ready to forgive her right then, that he was ready to make her laugh again, and that Jesus had died for her to make all of this possible, the dam broke and the condemnation came flooding out of her. And she walked out of the church hopeful and happy, loved and forgiven. And it all happened through a revelation for the building up of the body. None of those examples undermine the word of God. None of those examples come and make war with the word of God or make it a shaky foundation. No, all of those examples come alongside the word of God to say, yes, what what the Bible says about him is true. This is who he is. He knows you. He's wise. He cares for you and he loves you. And he wants to build you up through his people. It's interesting because this Corinthian church has particularly bragged about what? Knowledge and wisdom. Here I think Paul is redeeming those terms to say true knowledge comes from Christ. True wisdom comes from Christ. And may you now use true wisdom and true knowledge not to compete with each other, but to build each other up. Now sometimes people can just take this knowledge and allow it to puff themselves up. Paul would say knowledge puffs up. There are ways in which people could abuse these things and say, well, I, now I know these things and now I feel so puff, puffed up that I have this knowledge. Or maybe that there, there are some that feel like, oh, I, I, I'm just gonna forget the word of God. I just need to hear one of these special words. No, 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 no. That's not the point. That's not the point of these gifts. Because in fact, sometimes we're wrong. Sometimes maybe we feel like the Lord has shown me something and I'm actually wrong. We're gonna talk about, a lot about that uh, more as we talk about prophecy later. But how does this build us up? Well, it shows us that Jesus is the knower of our hearts. Jesus is the knower of our hearts. And he tenderly reveals, tenderly, tenderly reveals our secrets to set us free. Because he loves us. How does it build us up? It gives us wise direction. I don't think there's a person in this room that doesn't believe that we need wise direction for our lives. We have an abundance of decisions and pathways in front of us at all times. We need God's wise direction. It also builds us up because when God brings these gifts to us, he ministers to us in our sorrow when we feel like God is absent. Sometimes the Lord seems a long ways away. Doesn't he? Don't have to pretend. Sometimes it feels like the Lord is a long ways away. Some of you here are exhausted. 
Some of you here have been praying and praying and praying for a long time. And it feels like God just doesn't hear you anymore. Some of you have been enduring and enduring and it just feels like God has left you. Or you've been lonely and dry and feel like God has forgotten you and his voice is gone. The old experienced pastor Steve Brown said, he said this, sometimes we pretend that God is still in the building when we are sure that he has left. Sometimes we pretend to be joyous when our heart is broken because God doesn't seem to be there. I wonder if there's any of us this morning that feel like we're in that place. That feel like we're in the place of Psalm 13 when David cries out to the Lord, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me. Oh Lord, my God. You see, when we're in that place, God wants to speak to us. And in his grace, he has given you his word. In his grace, he has given you his word to grab and open and read and feast upon. He gives us his word and says, look to it. Look to the truths that you know to be true even when you don't feel that they're true. Go to my word and see what I proclaim over you. See about the God that I am and and who I am and and what I've done for you and how much I love you. Sometimes we can find it in, in just even one verse. Go, go turn to the, to the book of Jude later today and just read the first verse. It says that you are called by God, you are beloved by God, and you are kept for Jesus. When I feel like God is distant, I can open his word and know I am called by him. This wasn't my own volition. I didn't sign up for this thing. This wasn't my idea. You called me and you love me. I am beloved. You've poured out your love on me and you will keep me till the end. I'm so loved by you, Jesus, even though right now it feels like you're so far away. In his grace, he gives us his word. Look to the cross to see that his love knows no bounds. But listen, in God's abundant grace, he also said that one of the ways he will care for us in that place is to speak very intimately sometimes. As we seek these gifts As a church, we experience God's incredible personal care and love for us. Or sometimes in his abundant grace, he will bring a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom to remind you, I hear your prayers. I know you. I love you. Some of you here are desperate to know that God sees you and hears your prayers. Desperate. So church, on behalf of one another, on behalf of one another, let us ask the Lord for these gifts. Because he's told us to. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge. Discerning of spirits. 
Your Bible, depending on what translation you might have, might say it a little bit differently. Some will say distinguishing between spirits. Some will say discerning of spirits. This definition comes from Sam Storms. He says this, the ability to distinguish between what the Holy Spirit does and what another spirit does. Demonic spirits or perhaps even a human spirit. What Paul has in mind here is this special ability that's intuitive or subjective in nature to supernaturally enable a sense or a feeling concerning the nature or source of a spirit. So there's a few different spirits to discern between here. First and foremost, that it's saying that God has maybe gifted some to be able to discern the work of the Holy Spirit. Ways in which we can look at something and say, yes, the Spirit of God is moving and he's working here. We see this, for example, in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 15, when, when the apostles say that it seemed good to the Holy Spirit to do such a thing. And so they are discerning in that moment that the Holy Spirit of God is, is working in this, that he's moving. It could also be the, the discerning of angelic spirits. Hey, we, we are told in, in the scriptures that uh, in Hebrews chapter 1 that angels are ministering spirits sent to us. That there are times when God will send angels to minister. In fact, Jesus himself, after his temptation in the wilderness, it says that angels came to minister to him, to care for him. We're even told in Hebrews chapter 13 that sometimes we entertain angels unaware. Hey, that there are times in which there, is, there are angelic spirits at work sent by the Lord to minister. Sometimes what we're seeing before us is the work of demonic spirits. In fact, when we talk about discerning between spirits, there may even be this idea of, of maybe, that there are, maybe there are some in the church that are not just able to discern, oh, this is demonic, but maybe even able to discern what kind of demonic activity is this? What kind of demonic spirit might this be at work in somebody's life? This, the New Testament is filled with examples like this. Just go read the Gospels and read the book of Acts. You'll see all different kinds of spirits mentioned. You'll see... Uh, uh, um, Sorry, I just lost my place here. I wrote them down. Uh, you'll, you'll see a, uh, a spirit of, an unclean spirit. You'll see a, a spirit of infirmity. You'll see a deaf and mute spirit. You'll see a spirit of fear, a spirit of divination. All these different titles. Maybe those are specific kinds of demonic spirits. And that the Lord may be gifting some in particular to be able to discern, not just this is demonic, but this is a spirit of fear. This is a spirit of condemnation, whatever, whatever it may be. That enables us, that shows us a way of escape to Christ. Sometimes we also need help just discerning, is this just the work of the human spirit? Is this just a human being really stupid or really dumb? Or is this just human ambition gone off the rails? What is this? There's so many examples of this throughout the scriptures. Let me just breeze through a few for you. Acts chapter 16 uh, Paul is, uh, Paul is traveling around and there is, there's a slave girl and it says she has the what? A spirit of divination. A spirit of divination. Uh, the, the original language literally says a python spirit. That sounds crazy. Uh, a spirit of divination. And she is coming after Paul as he's trying to proclaim the gospel and is proclaiming true things. These men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And he discerns in that moment, he turns around and rebukes her and casts a demon out of her. In this moment, Paul discerns, even though she's speaking true words, these words are coming not from the spirit of God, but from a demonic spirit. Or in Acts chapter 13, Paul discerns that Elymas, the, magi the magician, is opposing the gospel and his, 
his opposition to the gospel is demonically energized. He discerns that. Or in Acts chapter 8, we see that Peter sees Simon Magnus filled with bitterness and iniquity. He wants to come and purchase the Holy Spirit. But, 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 Peter, but Peter looks at him and, and he sees that he's filled with bitterness and iniquity. There's some kind of discernment happening there. It could also be just the, the, the discerning of if a problem is due to demonic activity versus other factors. Right? There's, this, there's this story in Matthew chapter 17 where a father brings uh, to Jesus his son. And he starts listing all of these things that, that is happening to his son, right? Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures. He suffers terribly. He falls into the fire. He falls into the water. I brought him the disciples and they couldn't heal him. He's got all these symptoms. And Jesus knows in this moment, Jesus discerns in this moment, oh, this is, this is a demonic spirit. And he rebukes the demon. Now, some might have come to that boy and said, well, then we need to get him to stop throwing himself in the water and stop throwing himself into the fire and, and take these pills and, and, and try this uh, therapy and, and whatever it may be, and not to say that those are never options. But Jesus in this moment discerns the cause of this is demonic. He discerns what spirit this is of and solves the problem. Some may, evil, some may even be able to detect the presence of spirits in places. Now, let me just give you a couple points of, of clarity and caution. There's kind of two pitfalls, one on either side. Some of us, when it comes to these kinds of things, can be entirely gullible, where we believe everything. We just, everything that we see, we just, we, we just wholeheartedly believe it, right? Everything's demonic. Everything bad that happens, oh, it's just demonic. It's Satan, it's, it's evil one. Or everything, that, everything good that happens, oh, that's of the Lord. Oh, let, let him bless it. We just believe everything. Anything you see or hear, you're just gullible. You believe everything. On the other side is the skeptic who believes nothing. Everything's just a coincidence. Everything is just random chance. Everything's just, oh, that's weird. You don't believe anything. You don't believe any of this stuff is real, any of this stuff really happens anymore. And in the middle is discernment. Another point of clarity is the Lord has given us natural means of discernment too that need to not be ignored and avoided. The Lord has given us his word by which we can discern whether something is of him or it's not of him. For example, if someone comes to you claiming to do miracles or do miraculous signs and wonders, but they come to you proclaiming that salvation is by works alone, or salvation is found in someone else other than Jesus, you know from that moment that's not of the Spirit of God. That's of another spirit. How do you know that? Because it's contradicting the Word of God. We are told in the Scriptures, the Scriptures cannot be broken, John chapter 10. Even in this very same letter in 1 Corinthians 4, we're told, do not go beyond what is written. Or we're shown an example in Acts chapter 17 of the Bereans who tested everything according to the Scriptures. We are to do those things. The Lord has given us some natural means. And you know what I mean by natural this is supernatural. It's God's revelation, right? But, but he's given us the Bible to know and discern things. So we are not to just avoid that and say, well, I don't have the gift of discernment of spirit, so I can't discern. Yes, you can. You have the Bible. You have the word of God. We can also know things just by their character. Do, what do they produce? Do they produce fear and worry and anxiety and doubt and unbelief and all those things? Well, that's not going to be the spirit of God working. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. 
Another point of clarity or caution is sometimes, as human beings, when we start talking about discerning of spirits, we can get very obsessed. We can get very obsessed with angels or very obsessed with demons. There are those that can get very obsessed about angels and and just wanting more and more angels around them and the Lord to just send more angels and let me just find where the angels are and and, and find where where, where they are and what they look like and, and, and discover all these things about it and just talk about it all the time. Like, the point of angels is not angels. Angels are ministering spirits sent by God to draw our attention back to Christ. Right? Like, the, like the point of them is, is, is not to be about themselves. Some of us obsess over demons. We love to watch movies about them. We love to feel scared by them. We love to tell stories and go, wow, that's crazy. Do you believe that? Some of us like to obsess about our authority and our power over the demonic realm, which we have as Christians. But Jesus says in Luke chapter 10, after he sends his disciples out to cast out demons and they come back to him and they're like, Jesus, the demons listen to us in your name. We can cast them out. And what does he say? He says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's the point. In Colossians 2, we're warned about those that, that make a big deal about angels and want everybody to see them and And in Colossians 2, Paul turns their attention to say, no, 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 fix your eyes to the heavens where Christ is seated. So, but how does a gift like this build us up? Well, many ways. One, it may give us courage. We're told that our battle is not against flesh and blood. And having someone around us with the gift of the discernment of spirits may actually help impart courage to the body. It's a little bit different because it's an Old Testament um, example here, but there's a story in 2 Kings with Elisha and his servant, 2 Kings chapter 6, where Elisha's servant is very nervous. He's afraid. He wants to turn back. He doesn't want to fight the armies that are against him. And Elisha says to him, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed and said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What a beautiful story. That there's a heavenly host of armies fighting for us as God's people. And here was a moment where God opened the eyes of one of his people to show them and give them courage. It can impart courage to us at times. It can also be really, really helpful in finding freedom. We've got a lot of problems in our life. We've got a lot of ailments. We've got a lot of difficulties. We've got a lot of hurt. We've got a lot of sorrow. Having discernment of spirits among us can be really helpful in finding freedom from some of those things. If the Lord is supernaturally gifting some among us to be able to discern, why is this happening? Is this a product of simply our natural broken world? If it is, now we know how to pray. Lord, if this is just broken bones, fuse these bones together. Lord, we pray physically for this. Allow this person to rest so their bones may be healed. But is, is this for another reason? Is this a, a work of, a, of another spirit? Because if it is, well, now we, we, we know how to address that. If this is something sinful, well, we need to crucify the flesh. If this is something demonic, well, that we need to cast out the demonic because we've been given authority in Jesus' name. Having the discernment to know is really helpful in finding freedom. 
A lot of us have, have kind of closed ourselves off to this whole world and just say everything's natural. Nothing's supernatural. That's just not true, though. There are many open doors that we make to the enemy, open doors for demonic activity in our lives. Well, we're told this in the book of Ephesians, to not let the sun go down on your anger. And right after that, it says, do not give the enemy a foothold. That, that word foothold literally means do not give him place. Do not give him land. Do not give him an apartment to set up in and dwell. Right after talking about what? Anger. Yes, we can open doors to the demonic through very occult practices and witchcraft and all those kinds of things, but also through our anger through our bitterness and unforgiveness and our lust and our greed and our pride. And some of us have invited that into our lives, maybe even unknowingly. And God in his abundant grace at times gifts some with the discernment of spirits to say, I think there might be something more going on than just what we see with our natural eyes. And it helps us find freedom in Christ. It helps us. Because if something is going on in our lives that is demonic, do you believe what Jesus says? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I'm sending you as my representatives, you as my witnesses. What is mine is yours. You, every single believer, no matter what spiritual gifts you have, every single believer has the authority of Christ in Jesus' name over the demonic realm. Period. That's such good news. But don't rejoice in that. Don't obsess over that. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven because that's, that's the prize. That's the treasure. But having this discernment of spirits is so helpful for us to know how do we find healing? How do we find freedom? Because we have an enemy who hates us and wants to deceive us at every turn. He wants to confuse us and scare us and abuse us and he tries to copy everything God does. And having this gift among us is a tremendous blessing. Let me wrap us up. As Paul's talking about all these gifts, let me remind us what he says. He says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Manifestations of the Spirit, right? When we see spiritual gifts happening in the church, it's God's power, it's God's presence, and it's his care. It's his way of God, it's God's way of saying, I'm here. I'm among you. I love you. I'm with you. I'm all-powerful. And the Father's love lies behind all of these gifts and all of these experiences. And we can't miss that. We don't obsess or marvel over the gifts. We marvel over the giver of the gifts. I'm sure all of us at some point or another have seen children, young children, open up Christmas gifts, right? And there's that stereotypical response of a child that they get the greatest gift in the world and all they want to play with is what? The box, right? Or the wrapping, the shiny wrapping paper. And it's like, someone spent a lot of money providing you this wonderful gift and all you're obsessing over is the box or the shiny wrapping paper. When we just obsess and marvel over the gifts, we become like that. We become like a child who unwraps the presents but just wants to play with the shiny wrapping paper. When God gives manifestations of the Spirit, they're just the wrapping paper, the box around His presence. That's the real gift. It's the presence of God that is crucial. 
not how it's manifested among us. We are too, as God's people, long for more of Him, more of His presence, more of His love, more of His affection among us. That's the, that's the purpose. And yet we are to desire these gifts because He's told us, these are the means by which I come to you and take care of you. As we close, let me read Psalm 13 over us one more time. Maybe just ask that you just kind of look down or close your eyes just a way in which you're not distracted. Just want to remind you that the Lord is with us and among us. Here's what Psalm 13 says. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me.